my god, they're dead! Who could have done such a heinous act? I bet it was that frog down by the swamp. I don't like that frog. He's got them shifty eyes. It was that convict iron jaw, that rapscallion. I bet it was that strange shadowy figure that likes to swing in the park on Thursday nights. I swear to you, it was my stuffed panda. He's, he's possessed. It could have been Ricky's arm. We haven't seen it since it got cut off. I definitely know who the killer is. That way. Blank is the killer. Hello and welcome to Blank is the Killer, the unoriginal horror movie podcast where I, your only true goth host, Josh Baker, cover six new-to-me horror movies with a random spooky topic seven at the end. This episode includes goth trouble, computer axing, and leprechaun chaos. Come hang out in this weird van with me. I have no idea who the driver is. We can do a new drug called White Light and chat about horror movies. Number 1, Goth, 2003, directed by Brandon Sykes. Two Goths, Chrissy and her boyfriend Boone, decide to tag along with a girl named Goth and partake in a new drug called White Light that makes you feel like you're having a near-death experience. Goth starts assaulting and killing people. Chrissy has been pretending to be Goth to find her sister's killer. Her sister said only the word Goth on her deathbed. Chrissy believes Goth is the one who killed her sister. Chrissy accidentally shoots and kills a girl. Chrissy ends up at a weird party where there is a group of guys and a stripper. The guys attack her, so she kills them and the stripper. Boone shows up. Chrissy kills him too. Goth says she didn't kill Chrissy's sister and is happy to see Chrissy embracing true gothness. Chrissy then kills Goth and becomes the new goth. She finds another goth couple and starts the cycle over. Goth and Chrissy are the killers. Before we dive into this movie, you listeners need to know the three rules of being goth. Number one, embrace darkness. Number two, kill fear. And number three, live for death. I hope I don't have any posers listening to this podcast. I'm currently sitting in my room with all the lights out. I don't know who fear is, but once I find him, he's dead. And I'm Currently living my best life for all the corpses out there. Big ups to my skeleton homies in the ground. Goth is one of those special, terrible amateur movies you come across when deep diving horror movie streaming options. I'd like to say I found a cursed VHS tape, and that's how I was introduced to Goth, but the true story is much simpler. I was looking for something to watch for Blood and Bone on Amazon Prime. And after sifting through pages and pages of bland garbage, there it was. One of the dumbest looking movies I'd ever seen. Goth. Here's the blurb that's included. Goth blurs the boundaries between reality-driven horror and the hallucinatory style of Requiem for a Dream in this raw and blood-soaked ride through the dark underbelly of the gothic subculture. Everyone knows when an an obscure indie movie compares itself to something that's critically acclaimed, it must be good. Why would someone lie about goth having the style of Requiem for a Dream? Sure, Requiem is a good movie, but goth's way better for one simple reason. Jared Leto isn't in goth. Okay, just to be clear, 
This is a joke. Requiem is better than goth. I simply can't stand Jared Leto. That might be why American Psycho is one of my favorite movies. He plays a character that may or may not have been killed in it. Bateman thinks he killed him at least. What are we talking about? Oh yeah, embracing darkness, killing fear, and living for death. Goth isn't a perfect so bad it's good movie. It comes close given the wackiness of it trying to make Goth scary, but there are way too many drawn out scenes of characters pointlessly rambling about nothing. These scenes aren't completely devoid of fun though since the acting in Goth is horrendous. The only person in the movie that even attempts to act is Phoebe Dollar. She played Goth. She deserves kudos for her attempt. Without her performance, the movie would be a boring mess. Dollar goes all in. She steals every scene. Her performance as the crazed killer is captivating. Goth wanted to be as edgy as possible, so there are multiple instances of successful and attempted sexual assault. It's all unnecessary and uncomfortable. Normally, this kind of content would easily ruin any chance of a movie being recommended, but goth is so poorly made and accidentally absurd that the instances are more this is stupid and pointless than legitimately upsetting. Still, that kind of content is in the movie. There's also a lot of silly murder. Goth kills people with a knife and her bare hands. She's jacked, I guess. She may look like a small, non-threatening kid that you'd find at a rave under an overpass, but she easily takes on multiple people that are twice her size. The best deaths happen back-to-back during Chrissy's party killing spree. Every time she stabs someone, their death is shown in slow motion, while their death groan is looped over it. It's like when someone gets knocked out in Street Fighter 2. All of Chrissy's victims are like, uh, uh, uh. It's hilarious. I, I hope to someday meet Brad Sykes and ask him what he was thinking when it came to the party kills. The term party is being used loosely here. It's a small group of guys and a stripper that are surrounded by a bunch of lazily tossed around balloons. One of the partygoers is Tom Green. If he overdosed on theater kid serum, theater Tom Green is definitely one of the best characters in the movie, and he might have taken the number one slot if it wasn't for goth. His hair alone is spectacular. It's reminiscent of George Washington. I have to bring up that Boone knocks out Goth with a random fireplace cover that's oddly decorating a club. That same fireplace cover shows up again at the party. Was the club scene shot in the same house as the party? Signs point to yes, seeing how Goth was filmed in only six days, and that club looked like a room with sheets covering the walls. Goth doesn't disappoint when it comes to the music. It includes tons of edgy, bad alternative music from the early 2000s. It's not music I myself would label goth, but I don't think anyone that made the movie had any idea what goth is. Goth is a cautionary tale about the troubles of gatekeeping. It's a bizarre mess that's worth checking out dressed in all black with beer and buds. It wouldn't rank high on a list of So Bad It's Good Movies, but it is easily one of the most awkward failures I've ever seen. Number 2, Edge of an Axe, 1988, directed by Jose Ramon Larraz. Someone is killing people with an axe. Two newcomers to the area, Gerald and Lillian, start dating. Lillian reveals she pushed her cousin Charlie off a swing when they were kids, 
which gave him a head injury. She hasn't seen him since. She thinks he's back for revenge. Gerald appears to be Charlie. Gerald shows up at Lillian's house and confronts her. He says that Lillian created Charlie and that she's the one that was in a psychiatric hospital. Lillian doesn't believe Gerald and runs away from him. She runs outside where the police are. The police shoot Gerald on sight, killing him. Lillian hugs a cop and gives a maniacal smile. Lillian and the police are the killers. I mean, if Lillian was actually the killer, early on in Edge of an Axe, which I'll shorten to Edge, there's a shot of the killer without their Uncle Fester looking mask on. That person does not appear to be Lillian. I went back and paused the shot that showed the killer, and I do not believe there is any way that the person in the shot is Lillian. They have a completely different build, face, and haircut. The person shown appears to be a man. Gerald isn't some genius, so maybe his conclusion was completely incorrect and Lillian's cousin Charlie does in fact exist and loves killing. Gerald could also just be a dumb dumb liar and actually be Charlie himself. It's possible that Lillian's devious grin in the end was actually a smile that stemmed from her being saved from her maniac liar cousin. If you're going to show what the killer looks like, you can't have someone that looks completely different be the killer later on. That's not an interesting twist, it's a cheap trick. Edge is a movie that jumps all over the place. People that have no real relation to one another are being axed. Gerald and Lillian are taking part in a summer love. Gerald's friend Christopher is married to a woman 20 years his senior who ends up losing all her money. Christopher is cheating on his wife with a dude's daughter that's closer to his own age. Christopher and his young mistress don't interact with the killer in any way. Christopher's wife is killed though. All of the victims are supposed to have been people that interacted with Lillian when she was in the psych ward. But since this connection is only revealed at the very end and their time working at a psych ward isn't brought up at any other point in the movie, it feels like an afterthought. It would be easy to believe Edge's ending was changed at the last second because the person they originally cast as the killer couldn't show up to film his last scenes. That would help explain why Lillian looks nothing like the killer that was revealed earlier in the movie. Pet warning, a dog and fish are killed. The dog is much more disturbing than the fish. It's sad to see the cute little pooch in a big old pool of blood. The gore in Edge of an Axe is mostly confusing. An axe is the main murder weapon, but the people making the movie must not know what an axe is. Whenever the killer gives a victim a number of wax, the wounds left on them look like they were created with the world's tiniest knife. None of the gore effects done for the axe attacks actually look like wounds that would be inflicted with an axe. Absolute realism isn't important when it comes to gore effects, but if you're going to have your killer use an axe, you should at least try to make the wounds it leaves look serious. Edge opens with weird green computer text opening credits. Axe isn't even capitalized when the title is shown. The font and color choice seemed ill-fitting for an axe slasher, but computers end up being a big element. Gerald is a huge computer nerd. His love for technology is a nice change of pace. The leading man in a slasher movie is normally a bit more jock-like. He does have a motorcycle, so he's basically Mr. Cool Tech Guy. Barton Fox played Gerald, and he's got the look of a weird slasher guy. 
Edge wants you to believe he's Charlie, so the casting is perfect. Christina Maria Lane played Lillian, and she's great in this. She brings a realness to the leading lady character that's usually absent in old 80s slashers. The score is grooving. There are multiple times throughout the movie where it was impossible to not start moving a bit to the catchy synth tracks. Surprisingly, the terrible sheriff that keeps seeing obvious murders and calling them suicides and accidents doesn't end up dead. He does end up not only being a bumbling fool, but also a murderer after he shoots Gerald dead. As stated earlier, the killer's mask looks a lot like Uncle Fester. It's an obvious ripoff of the Kirk mask Michael Myers wears. It might as well be the mask without the hair. Edge of an Axe jumps all over the place and is a bit of a misleading on purpose mess. But if you're a fan of slashers, there's definitely some enjoyment to be had with this one. Number 3, Leprechaun, 1993, directed by Mark Jones. Dan O'Grady stole a leprechaun's gold. The leprechaun finds O'Grady. O'Grady's wife falls down some stairs and dies. O'Grady tramps the leprechaun in a crate and places a four-leaf clover on top, which seals him in. O'Grady then suffers a stroke. Ten years later, Tori and her dad rent the O'Grady house. The house is being painted by Nathan, Alex, and Ozzy. The leprechaun tricks Ozzy into releasing him. Ozzy and Alex find the gold. The leprechaun tries to get it back and kills people that get in his way. Tori learns from O'Grady that a four-leaf clover is needed to stop the leprechaun. Alex uses a slingshot to shoot a four-leaf clover into the leprechaun's mouth. The leprechaun is defeated. The leprechaun and clumsiness are the killers. The leprechaun, who I'll shorthand to Lepi for brevity's sake, may have startled the wife, but he didn't push her. I decided it was finally time to watch all the movies in the Leprechaun series. I thought I had already seen the first one, but it turns out I only watched the first 15 minutes. Since this is the first movie in the series, it has to be at least decent, right? Lep 1 isn't very entertaining. It is the foundation, though. Warwick Davis is Leppy. He's good in the role. Who's he trying to kill? Jennifer Aniston and Francis from Pee-wee's Big Adventure. There are other actors in the movie, but the recognizable ones are Jen Ann as Tori and Mark Holton as Ozzy. Tori is the spoiled rich girl archetype. She hates the dumb house her dad brought her to, which is fair. It's a rundown mess that has at least one tarantula in the basement. Everyone knows that the only acceptable number of tarantulas in a house is zero. Tori is smart and decides to bail on what is obviously a leprechaun murder cabin. Unfortunately for her, Tori's biggest weakness is nagging. Throughout Lep 1, Nathan nags Tori to make her do stuff. It works flawlessly. Nate must have watched a bunch of the pickup artists. What are the leprechaun's powers? He can mimic the voices of people and animals. He has a dash of tune force. He has telekinesis that strength is dependent on how much gold he has. Leppy is the most fun when he's being campy, speeding down the road on a tricycle, skateboarding in the hallways, crashing into a fence and leaving a full body outline, and pogoing a man to death. Alex and Ozzy find Leppy's gold and take one of the shillings to a coin master to have it examined. Coin master probably isn't the correct nomenclature, but it sounds cool. Coin master tells them each coin is probably worth $500 or possibly more because of the historical value. He holds on to the coin, then Leppy shows up and 
hops up and down on the poor sap with a pogo stick until he dies. This is the type of goofy kill that's needed in a movie about a killer leprechaun, but this is the only cartoon kill in the movie. Alex and Ozzy decide not to tell anyone about the gold even after the leprechaun tells everyone he'll bugger off if it's returned to him. It's safe to say he was lying, but Alex and Ozzy don't know that. They're willing to let everyone including themselves possibly die for $50,000? Leppy conveniently has 100 coins. Tori returns the coins, but since Ozzy swallowed one accidentally while trying to bite it, which is the dumbest possible way to have a coin end up inside a character, Leppy continues to terrorize the group. There are no real stakes in Lep 1 since none of the main cast is killed. Leppy pretends to be a cat and bites Tori's dad's hand, so dad's absent for almost the entire movie. Since Ozzy ate a coin, it's expected that it will be forcibly removed from his person. But nope. Leppy bites Ozzy's ear and Nathan does step in a bear trap. I believe that's the full extent of injuries inflicted on the group. Other things to note about Leppy. He has a fetish for shining shoes and his weakness is four-leaf clovers. He's defeated when Alex attaches a four-leaf clover to some gum he was chewing and slingshots it into Leppy's mouth after dropping an F.U. Lucky Charms one-liner. Leprechaun is a dull slasher with barely any kills. Four people die and none of the victims are developed. Josh from the future here. I've seen all the Leprechaun movies and safely say it's okay to skip Lep 1. It's not even close to the best movie, and the only continuity in the entire series is between One and Returns. Oh, turns out Warwick Davis is an Irish. He's British. I've been duped! Number 4, Leprechaun 2, 1994, directed by Rodman Flender. Leppy is looking for love. He chooses a girl to be his bride, but her dad stops his magic from working. 1,000 years later, Leppy uses his magic once more to make Bridget, a descendant of the original dad, his wife. Bridget's boyfriend Cody and his father figure Morty attempt to save her. Cody and Morty trap Leppy in a safe that's made out of iron. Iron is Leppy's weakness now. Morty lets his greedy nature take over and ends up dead after wishing for Leppy's gold, which Leppy materializes inside him. Before he dies, Morty uses his last two wishes to free Leppy and have the gold removed, but the removal kills him. Cody finds Leppy's treehouse where Bridget has been imprisoned. Cody tricks Leppy and plants an iron rod into his chest to defeat him. Bridget is saved. Leppy is the killer. In the beginning of Lep 2, Cody is working hard to round up a group of people for a horror tour that Morty usually gives. After he gets some participants, Cody finds that Morty is stupid drunk. Cody was supposed to take Bridget on a date, but takes over the tour since money is tight. Bridget can't stand the fact that Cody would delay their date to make sure Morty and himself have money to live. So as soon as they get to the go-kart place where the date was going to happen, Bridget ditches Cody for some other dude. Allegedly, Bridget and Cody were going steady, which makes Bridget's behavior even more baffling. Cody, my man, Bridget isn't worth fighting a leprechaun over. Let Leppy have her. She's the worst. She's completely bland and has no personality. Find a girl who actually likes you that hasn't been kidnapped by an ancient leprechaun. 
Denise Richards was almost cast as Bridget, she would have been a much better choice than Siobhan Durkin. Compared to Lep 1, Lep 2 is fantastic. Leppy uses a lot more magic. He tricks the dude Bridget ditched Cody for into motorboating lawnmower blades by casting a Bridget illusion spell on them. Leppy soups up a go-kart into a crazy killing machine. He transports his pot of gold into Morty. There are only two more kills this time around, but they are so much more fun and goofy. Hmm. I don't want to call IMDB a liar, but I only remember five kills. The OG Dad, Lawnmower Boy, Morty, Barista, and the Security Guard. I mean, I guess you can count Leppy in the body count, which would make it six. Lep 2 has one more kill than the original, and the overall quality of the kills and gore effects are better in this sequel. Leppy's makeup does look worse. He has this distractingly bad black lipstick that makes it look like he has an evil little smile the whole movie. There's actual stakes this time around since Morty is killed for being a greedy old bat that's bad at wishing. If an evil leprechaun owes you three wishes, you have to word them carefully. Morty is the best character in the movie. When the police come looking for Cody because they think he killed Lawnmower Boy, Morty doesn't give him up. It seemed out of character for Morty to lock Cody in a closet. Lep 2 tries to paint Morty as this greedy jerk, but in the beginning of the movie, he tells Cody to refund the Torgors since he's too drunk to drive. Would a greedy drunk guy be willing to give a refund? If Cody had to do the tour because Morty wouldn't allow a refund, then maybe it would be believable that he'd turn on Cody for Leppy's gold. Morty deserved a heroic death instead of what he received. There's no continuity between Lep 1 and 2. Leppy's weakness in this movie is iron. Instead of a pot of gold with 100 shillings, Leppy has a pot of gold with 100 shillings and other random gold items. He steals a homeless man's gold tooth and drops it into the pot. Morty tricks Leppy into getting wasted, so Leppy has to go to a coffee shop to sober up before he can start his gold search again. This is the kind of goofiness that a movie about a killer leprechaun needs. Turns out Leprechaun 2 is the only movie in the series that's actually set on St. Patrick's Day. It never felt weird that the first one wasn't set on the holiday. Leprechaun 2 is much better than its predecessor. It still drags here and there, but it's the one to watch out of the first two. Number 5, Leprechaun 3, 1995, directed by Brian Trenchard Smith. Leppy is in Las Vegas. Scott, a kid on his way to college, meets Tammy, a magician's assistant. Scott comes into possession of one of Leppy's shillings, which now Grant wishes. Leppy wants his shilling back, so attacks and bites Scott. Some of Leppy's blood gets in the bite wound. The shilling changes hands a few times. Everyone besides Scott that makes a wish is killed by Leppy. Scott, who's now transforming into a leprechaun, and Tammy work together to defeat Leppy. The gold must be destroyed. Scott takes a flamethrower to Leppy's pot of gold, which somehow destroys it and kills Leppy. Scott is cured. Tammy and Scott throw away the one remaining shilling and live happily ever after. Leppy is the killer. Leppy has finally made it to Sin City. Lep 3 ramps up the camp to perfectly ludicrous levels. If you have a shilling, you're getting a wish. A woman wishes to be beautiful, so she's styled a bit differently. Wow, what a difference clothes, hair, and magic can make. 
Lep kills her by making her dangerously thick to the point that she explodes. The body explosion reminded me of the girl in the movie Faust that turns into a TNA puddle. Come to think of it, most of the wishes don't seem to do all that much. Scott wishes he was on a winning streak at the casino after he loses a bunch of money and sees a dead guy in a pawn shop. Scott revealing that he saw a dead guy is one of the funniest parts of the movie, given his nonchalant delivery of the fact. The casino owner wishes Tammy was into him, not knowing wishes are real. Tammy is about to jump his bones before the shilling changes hands, causing the wish to wear off. The casino owner actually wasn't a creep to Tammy before she came on to him, which was surprising. Mr. Owner is killed by a sexy robot Sadako that escapes his TV with a little help from Leprechaun Magic. The last wish to make note of is the magicians. He wishes he was the best magician, and then he continues to do mediocre magic tricks that barely impress people that don't know how they're done. Leppy chainsaws him in half. Thick explosion, sexy robot Sadako electrocution, and split with a chainsaw. It's easy to say that the kills in Leprechaun 3 are the best in the series so far. They're creative and wacky. The practical effects to bring the deaths to life are wonderful. It's a little strange that a woman explodes into what looks like plaster and styrofoam, but hey, Leprechaun magic. Tammy is the most likable female lead the series has had so far. She was played by Lee Armstrong, who's oozing with charisma. Her co-star is John Gattins. He plays Scott. He's goofy, but given that he's supposed to be a rube turned weprechaun, he works. Warwick Davis is still Leppy, and he's delightful. Leppy is better than ever. The black lipstick still looks a bit whack, but it's a bit better now. If there was one issue with Leppy in this movie, he rhymes shilling with killing about a zillion times. In Lep 3, Leppy barely even says me gold. This time it's about the singular missing shilling. The way to defeat Leppy in part 3 is either to destroy his gold or put a Nordic necklace around his neck. Destroying the gold kills him and the necklace freezes him. The symbol on the necklace is the Helm of Awe. It's a protection symbol. Leppy and Scott, once he starts turning into a leprechaun, don't even want to look at the necklace. It's a little odd that this leprechaun deterring necklace is barely used in the movie. How do our characters receive the lowdown on how to beat Leppy? An informative CD-ROM. It's completely ridiculous and how Leppy should always be explained moving forward. Destroying a pot of gold is no easy task. How does Scott and Tammy destroy it? They shoot it with a flamethrower for a couple seconds. Were the flames hot enough to melt the pot and gold? No. The pot of gold just kind of disappears after it's kissed by the flames. This kills Leppy and stops Scott from turning fully into a leprechaun. It's dumb, but this is a movie about a leprechaun in Las Vegas. It's okay that it's dumb. It being dumb is a strength of the movie. Unlike Jason Takes Manhattan, Leprechaun 3 actually feels like it takes place in Las Vegas for the entire movie. Vegas is a way better location for a slasher movie than Manhattan. Leprechaun 3 is a highly enjoyable time. If you're looking to watch a Leprechaun movie, this is it. The kills are more creative, the gags are goofier, and Warwick Davis is finally coming into his own as Leppy. Turns out he said this was his favorite of the series. Friendly gambling tip. You have zero edge when playing roulette. Do not blow your entire $23,000 college fund at one roulette table.
Number six, Leprechaun 4 in Space, 1997, directed by Brian Trenchard Smith. Leppy is courting a space princess named Zarina. Space Marines show up to kill Leppy. The Marines throw a grenade at him, which he jumps on to save Zarina. A Marine then pees on Leppy's remains, which allows Leppy's essence to climb up the stream. Back on the Marine's ship, Leppy explodes out of the pee happy Marine's crotch, killing him instantly. Leppy wants Zarina and his gold back. He keeps killing people until he is enlarged with a ray and ejected out into space where he explodes again. Leppy is the killer? The space marines were trying to kill him and stole Zarina, his space princess bride, whom they kidnapped and experimented on. The space marines and the doctor that hired them are the real villains this time around. Leppy attempted a peace agreement with them. All he asked is that they return Zarina. The doctor had already taken some of Zarina's blood. That should have been sufficient for his experiments. Leprechaun 4 in space, aka Leprechaun and Space Babe vs. the World, is a stupidly fun installment in the series. Until it's not. It's about 90 minutes, like all the others in the series so far, but it felt like an eternity. The best parts of the movie revolve around Leppy and his space princess bride to be Zarina. They are perfect for each other. They both want to murder the other after the wedding. They're greedy. They're totally cool with killing people that bug them. Strangely enough, even though Leppy says he will kill her after the wedding, he does seem to really like Zarina. He jumps on a grenade to save her. Sure, a grenade can't exactly kill him, but it was still a very noble action that must have been fueled by love. The biggest problem with Lep 4 is the lack of Leppy and Zarina. Zarina is unconscious for half the movie while the mad scientist doctor is examining her blood. The mad doctor, played by Guy Siner, is fun to watch until his whole shtick gets grating by the end. Hopefully the mouse never sees Lep 4 because it does include a lightsaber which Leppy uses to cut off a mercenary's legs. Unlike the other installments, Lep 4 is presented in 4-3. It doesn't make it better or worse, it's just strange. Miguel A. Nunez Jr. plays one of the Space Marines. He's been in Scooby-Doo, Slam Dunk Ernest, The Return of the Living Dead, and Friday the 13th, A New Beginning. I mostly brought him up to talk about the live-action Scooby-Doo movie and Slam Dunk Ernest. If you're looking to get into the Ernest movies, I would not recommend starting with Slam Dunk Ernest. Start with Camp or Scared Stupid. Given that Lep 4 takes place in space, it's easy to expect that the kills will be wackier than ever. For the most part, the kills are dull, but there are a few standouts. Leppy tosses a round serving tray at a man's face that comically smashes it with a Tom and Jerry-esque effect. Leppy kills a mercenary by jumping out of his ding-dong. Here's an important safety tip. Never urinate on a leprechaun. Even if the leprechaun has been blown to bits. None of the other kills were all that memorable. Mad Doctor is transformed into a human spider scorpion abomination, which is kind of neat to see. But by the time his full grossness graced the screen, I had lost all interest in the movie.
It's great that the leprechaun is honey. I blew up the kitted with an enlarging ray. It's fun that there is a scene where giant Leppy pulls out his waistband and looks at his now gigantic wiener. Unfortunately, this isn't enough to save the movie. If Leprechaun 4 in space was a tight 70 minutes, it would possibly be something that I could recommend. But as it stands, Let 4 is the hardest installment to get through without falling asleep. If you're looking to make a goofy in space sequel, make sure not to spend most of your movie with boring space marines that no one cares about. Jason X isn't much better than Let 4, but at least the Space Marines aren't the main group of protagonists that's followed around the whole time. Number 7. Current Standings It's very easy to rank the first four Leprechaun movies. Dead last is obviously Leprechaun 4 in space. It's not devoid of enjoyable moments, but the boring Space Marines and dreadful pacing make it the toughest to sit through. Next up is the original. Barely anything happens in Lep 1. The characters weren't fully developed. It's got some silly glimpses into the future, but it doesn't work as a whole. Second place goes to Lep 2. The kills are creative. Leppy gets drunk. It ends up dragging towards the end, but so do 1 and 4. The current champion is Lep 3. Las Vegas is the perfect setting for a leprechaun to wreak havoc. The kills are over the top and wacky, and the characters are a lot more likable than they are in other installments. I'll revisit the standings once I've seen every single movie in the Leprechaun series. That's a wrap on Blank is the Killer 93, Goth Trouble, Computer Axing, and Leprechaun Chaos. If you like what you heard, consider leaving a rating or review on iTunes. Next episode will be out on April 4th. There will be even more Leppy. Until then, remember that money isn't everything. A gold coin might seem worth stealing, but the consequences far outweigh the material gain. And pop quiz. I hope you all were listening closely. What are the three rules that true goss follow? Do you, do you, do you know them? Did you, did you remember? I know you did, but I'm going to say them anyways. Number one, embrace darkness. Number two, kill fear. And number three, live for death. Toodles, real goth listeners.